This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Amen. Amen. So um, we're still on God's purpose in the family. Um, this is the third lesson in, in my portion here, which is God's covenant agents. Um, as far as, as review, we're gonna, the review is going to be very short today. It's going to be condensed. So if you don't try to take notes during the review, because you're not going to have time. But um, we looked at Genesis chapter 1 earlier on, verses 26 and 28, and we said that God has an intended purpose or position for the family. Every believing family has a call from God to produce spiritually and emotionally established believers who in turn give God's redemptive work done in the earth. Now, these are, these, this is very much so review because this is what's been said since June. Now, the purpose of the family, we, we had four purposes in the family that we talked about, four uh, specific things, was to reflect the image of God, to conduct the government of God, to produce and raise a godly seed, to show God's love as his covenant agent. So um, we, we already had those first three teachings, and my teaching right here is to show God's love as his covenant agent. The objective of my portion of this teaching is to explain how the family should be representatives of God's love in the earth and those who act on his behalf. In this, we're going to talk about a few different things. We want to explain what a covenant agent is and what God's love is. We want to explain what God's love produces in the family and how the product of godly love affects those outside the family. So today we're going to finish up on what God's love produces in the family. And then we're going to talk about how that what is produced in the family is shown to other people outside of the family. We said the result of God's spirit, the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us should be evident in our actions. God's purpose for his family is uh, for the family is for us to live by, not by the world standard, but by his standard. We are supposed to be distinctly different in the way that we live. Our lives to show forth who we are in Christ. So we went over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21. And I'm going to read those scriptures again out of the Message Bible. Remember the first week, I, first and second week I read that. So this is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21. is from the Message uh, Translation of the Bible. So here we go. Our firm decision is to work from this focus center. One man died for everyone. That puts everyone in the same boat. He included everyone in his death so that everyone could be included in his life. A resurrection life. A far better life than people ever lived on their own. Because of this decision, we don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look. We looked at the Messiah that way once and got it all wrong, as you know. We certainly don't look at him that way anymore. Now we look inside, and what we see is that anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start. It's created new. The old life is gone. A new life burgeons. Look at it. All this comes from the God who settled the relationship between us and him, and then called us to settle our relationships with each other. God put the world square with himself through the Messiah, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. God has given us the task of telling everyone who he, what he is doing. We're Christ's representatives. 
God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into a work into excuse me and enter into God's work of making things right between them. We're speaking of Christ himself now. Become friends with God. He's already a friend with you. How, you ask? In Christ. God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong so we could be put right with God. So we looked at that and we were seeing how, once again, we were all in the same boat. But it's through Christ that we now are put right with, with God. Now that we are put right with God, we're supposed to represent him. We're supposed to be his covenant agents. And what we said a covenant agent is, is one who has entered into an agreement with God that's based on God's grace, not their own merit. And they act solely on God's behalf, not seeking their own will. And as believers, that's what we should do. And what, how we should do that is the love of Christ that constrains us, that compels us to live according to God's standard. We talked about it, and I kept telling you I said individuals, but we said individuals make up the family. So when one individual is in a family and they're compelled by the love of God, they're constrained by the love of God, the other individual in the family is constrained by the love of God, each individual, everybody's constrained by the love of God, now everyone's walking in the same way, and everyone is showing forth the glory of God. So the family shouldn't seek to do their own thing. They should be totally committed to accomplishing God's will on the earth. We said God's love is a self-sacrificing love, and that's the same way we should love. What God's love did for us is it took us, and it took us from death, and it brought us to life. It made us bound to righteousness, not bound to sin anymore. What God's love did for us is it gave us security. We no longer have to wonder who we are or what we're doing. We know who we are in Him. We said God's standard of love, it never changes. The world's standard of love changes, but God does not. We said God does not compromise his standard of love. He sent Jesus so that we could be saved, but he's not giving us another way to get to him. That's his standard. He's not compromising that because maybe you don't want to do that. God said this is how it is. He offers salvation. We freely accept that salvation, but we live under his guidelines and his rules. So God's love in the family... What we looked at, we said that the purpose for the family that God has is not the purpose for the family that the world has. The world, when we go after the things of the world and not the things of God, we can only produce corruption in our families. So we wonder why our families are dysfunctional. And that's because we've sown this world system into our lives and now we're reaping that. We said the world's standard of love promotes self-preservation, not self-sacrifice. When we live by the world's standard of love, we can only reap what we've sown. We can't have godly results when we've sown ungodly seed. So that's impossible to do. If you sow a seed, we talked about a lemon. You know, if you sow a lemon tree, you you put a lemon seed in the ground, you're not going to get a watermelon. So you shouldn't expect that. Same thing with the things of God. You sow into your family the things of the world, you should not expect godly results. When we follow the world standard of love, remember the world standard of love is changing. It's always changing. We end up feeling empty. We're lacking. We're always looking for ways to fill this void. We use money, careers, relationships. We even look at what we call good deeds, you know, doing charity work, things like that, pursuit of fame, all these other things to fill that void because we don't have God's love 
And not because we, not because he didn't offer it, it's just that we're not taking it. We're deciding to do something different. Remember, it's his standard. He doesn't change his standard. We have to align with what, he, what he's doing. When we don't align with what he's doing, what we decide to do is something totally different, and then that's why we end up feeling empty, running after these things, always chasing the next thing. You know, you get a new house, now it's time to get another new house, a bigger house. You get a new car, it's time to get a better car. You, you get married, you don't want that marriage. You have a child, now you need another child because that one didn't turn out as pretty as you thought it was going to be. All these different things, you're always looking for something to satisfy you because you're running after the world standard. When we give ourselves over, um, when we give ourselves and our families over to the world standard, we're going to reap corruption. And that's because, like I said, we decided to go after uh, the world's view and what the world says do, and we won't be what God has called us to be. We won't be called out. We won't be distinctly different. Let's go over to First um, John chapter 4. And this is still a little bit of a review, but... So 1 John chapter 4, we're just going to look at, uh, we read this last week, but we're just going to look at verse 18 today. Verse 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. And we said if we have perfect love, if we have the love of God, perfect love is the love of God. That, that is the only perfect love. When we have the perfect love, it casts out fear. And we said fear is dread or terror. It's usually, perceived, it's usually a result of a perceived physical or emotional danger. The result of fear is usually self-protection or self-preservation, which is the exact opposite of self-sacrifice. And when you think about it, you say, well, what does fear have to do with how I operate in my family? Well, in our families, we fear rejection. We fear being hurt. We fear losing status or losing respect among people who we want to be respected by. Instead of acting out of self-sacrifice, we act out of self-preservation. What that does is it causes our family to be dysfunctional, not functioning properly, not going after the right purpose that God has called us to do. God never intended us to have dysfunctional families. God intended us to have purposeful families who functioned according to his will. God's word love is not the world's love. When our families push towards the standard of success in this world, we move further and further away from God's love. So now when you look at, and I'm talking about Christian families. That's what I'm talking about believers. I'm talking about people who come to church. I'm talking about people who come to this church. We should be showing something else. But when you look at our family, they look exactly like the people who are asleep right now, not coming to service. They look exactly like the people who aren't coming to prayer on Friday. They look exactly like the people who say, maybe there's a God, maybe there's not. We should not be those people because the love of God has come up into our lives. God defines love. So we we say God is love. Love describes God. But it does not define him. God defines love. When the world sees that the believing family, so now what we're going to talk about is the products of godly love. So we spent a lot of time last week talking about what we shouldn't look like. So now we're going to talk about what we should be, what we should look like, what we should see. 
as believers. Or people should see in us. And we should see it in other believers. When the world looks at us, they should see unconditional godly love. Not acceptance of sin. That's a difference. They should see balance that can and will call out wrong, but doing it in meekness and gentleness. They should see patience and forgiveness. They should see those who are willing to restore those who are lost. So what is it, what is it that we have to have in our family to be this? Um, go to Colossians chapter 3. And once again, I can't stress this enough, and you should see this in the teaching. What God says love is and the purpose of the family is the exact opposite of what the world says. It's the exact opposite of what some so-called churches say. But this is what God says, that's what's true. So we're going to look at Colossians. And we're going to read, um, we're going to stay in Colossians 3 for a while. First, I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. And now this is the new information. So now I will slow down and you can take them. You could have taken them before, but you probably wouldn't have taken So, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Verse 1 says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Ye are dead, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. So, here we see that we are to set our affection. I like that it says affection. You know, we sometimes we'll read it real fast and we'll say affections. But it just says affection. So, our heart, our affection should be towards God the things of God. We should have a commitment to God. That's what it's saying. We're not committed to ourselves. We're not committed to our own purpose, but we're committed to God and His purpose. The love of God, we can only be committed to God because He's shown us love. So the love of God should produce commitment to Him and His purpose. That's what those scriptures are saying. You're dying to self and you're in Christ. So you're no longer looking out for what you want to do. You're looking out for what God God wants you to do. You're looking out for what his purpose is. When you have that kind of commitment to God and His ways and His purpose, you'll have that kind of commitment to your family. You won't be willing to give up on things so quickly. You won't be willing to say, I don't like this, I'm done, I'm out. Or, you know what, I'm going to take a break from my family right now. You know what, I, I, I just don't feel like doing this. That's not what it is. As believers, we're committed to God. The family is part of God's purpose. So it's part of his will to accomplish things in the earth, so we're committed to what he's committed to. We're committed to the family, so we should be committed to our families. In addition to commitment, there are some other qualities and attitudes or behaviors that God's love produces in the believer. Let's go, over, go ahead into the um, same chapter. We're going to look at verses um, 12 through 21. Verse 12 says, Put on therefore... As the elect of God. And I want, to, I want to call attention here to this first part of this verse. Put on, therefore. That means there is some action that you have to do. So think about this morning when you got and you put on your clothes. You may have laid them out the night before. Somebody may have laid them out for you. You may have reached in the closet and got them. But having those clothes there did not mean they got on your body. You had to put them on. There was an action. There was a decision that you made. 
there was a thing that you had to go do and you had to put it on. What you needed to wear was there for you, but you had to make the action and make the decision to put it on. So first, these qualities are here for us that we're about to read on, but you have to put them on. You have to put them on, you have to put them on right. You know, I am notorious. Some of you have noticed I am notorious for putting my clothes on inside out sometimes. I don't know. I've been doing it for years. Some of y'all caught me and told me like, but that's the same way with the things of God. <laughs> Usually I'm in a rush. We can't rush God. It's a perfect example. You have to do things the way God told you to do. You can't just decide, okay, I got these clothes. I'm just going to throw them on. No, God is giving you a way to do it. And we follow his way. But it's his, it's our action. He lays it out there for us. We have to make the decision to put it on. So, back to verse 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, vows of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father and, and the Father by him. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. So I think that's very interesting. He's talking about these Christian virtues or these qualities, we may call them, and then he starts talking about the family. Because these virtues are the things that should govern our interpersonal relationships. So, as we look at this, it says put on bowels of mercy. So, what, are, what does bowels of mercy mean? That means compassion, to show love, tender-hearted mercy. God shows us compassion because of who he is, not because of who we are or what we've done. So, you know what? We can show others compassion because God's shown us compassion. Not necessarily because of who we are or because of what they've done, but because of who God is. So remember, go back to the thing. God has settled the debt between us and him through Christ. So now we can have compassion through others because of that. Because compassion has been, been shown to us. So as we deal with one another, we have to be compassionate. We can't be callous. We can't be cold towards members of our family. Or anyone else for that matter. You know, a lot of times as believers, we want to have these kind of virtues towards just believers. But we have to be this all the time. This has to be towards everybody. The, the thing about it is it's really, this is really easy to do to people you like. As long as they're doing what you want to do. They're not getting on your nerves. But as soon as they do something you don't want to do, or there's somebody you don't like, you know, maybe they're in a group you don't like, or they're doing something a different way than you, it's, this is when you have to show that. That's when it becomes, do you really have it in you? In addition to the bowels of mercy, it said kindness. 
So what is kindness? Kindness is a disposition to do good. And you know, when you think about good, we have a lot of definitions of good, but who, dis- who defines good? God defines good. God is good. So when we have a dis- disposition to do good, our disposition is to make sure that others see the love of God. That we're doing good by them as far as God's standard, not our own. It's the desire for another's good. So it's the disposition to do good. It's the desires for another's good. It's not only for me. I just don't want goodness for me. I want goodness for others. That, that's what kindness is. The next thing there is humbleness of mind. Humbleness of mind is humility. Means that we're not puffed up with pride. We understand who we are in Christ and that we are only who we are because of Christ. What we understand in humility, what humility is, is realizing that we're no better than anybody else. That, I was thinking about this, that you're one decision away from being out of the will of God. So don't don't think that because right now everything is going well that you can look down on someone else. Or maybe someone is not where you are spiritually because you know what? You weren't always where you are spiritually. And with that attitude, you'll probably end up going backwards. So we have to be, we have to have that humbleness of mind, which is humility. It means we're not puffed up with pride. We don't, we're not full of ourselves. What we are is we're full of Christ. The next one, I love this one, meekness. Meekness, one word is gentleness. In this, this word, one of the things that it referred to when they used it, like it, in the time of the New Testament days, it referred to a domesticated animal whose strength had been channeled for their master's use. So you think of a horse, you think of a donkey, you think of something that is, is big and has a lot of strength. But what's happened is that they've been, that strength, they've been tamed or they've been domesticated. And instead of just running wild, you ever seen somebody try to break a horse? And the horse just runs away, and they can't control it. But once that horse is broken or domesticated, you can put a saddle on it, you can put a bridle, and it goes where it wants to go. So that's what meekness is. It's meekness is you have strength, but it's purpose for your master's use. It's purpose for God's use. It's strength under control and directed for purpose. A lot of times when you hear meekness, and you know when you read, when you study these words out, it'll say like most people back in that time, and even now, people don't like the word meekness. They think it means being a doormat, people being, being able to run all over you. That's not what it is, because you do have strength, but the strength is directed for a purpose. Meekness is the opposite of self-interest. Meekness, remember, you have strength, but it's purpose for the master's use. In addition to meekness, we see there long-suffering. So long-suffering, and I was thinking about this, and I said, this is the perfect thing to have with your family. Because you know your family... They are special in a way that they can deal with you. And your response to them is usually special. And not always in a good way. So long-suffering is patient in the face of provocation. It is self-restraint, a steady response in the face of provocation. And you know, I was thinking as we come up on the holidays, we're going to be spending time with our family and maybe people we don't always see and spend a lot of time with. And I said, God, I hear what you're saying to me. I'm just letting y'all know what God said to me. Be long-suffering. So we are to be patient. Long-suffering. Patient in the face of provocation. Like I said earlier, it's okay to be patient when nobody's provoking you. 
That's easy to be patient because nothing's going on. But we have to be patient in the face of provocation. We always have to have that steady, godly response even when we're provoked. The next thing there is to forbear one another. That means to put up with each other. Endure. Be patient. Once again, that patience. We have to be patient or forbear one another even in difficult situations. One of the things that I was thinking about when I was looking at this word, forbear one another and put up with each other, everything's not a big deal. You know that? Everything is really not a big deal. Does it change the gospel? Does it keep us from preaching the gospel? Does it keep us from living godly? It's not a big deal. I said it Wednesday night. You want to put up a Christmas tree and I don't want to put up a Christmas tree. You want to call it Xmas and I want to fuss about Christmas. That's not a big deal. Those kind of things, we just forbear one another. You know, you want to eat turkey on Thanksgiving, I want a goose. Let's forbear one another. That's the thing. Some things we don't even have to, it's not even worth it. Then next we have forgive. So as God forgave us, we have to forgive one another. And I was looking at this definition of forgive because we talk about forgiveness a lot and we use these words, but sometimes we have to make sure we understand what God is saying to us. So what does it mean to forgive? I looked it up and one definition was it's to carry, bear away the sins and failures of another. To consider guilty but forgiven. It's like you're not counting it against them. Something happened. There, there was something that happened. Think about your family. There's something that somebody did to you that maybe hurt your feelings. Or, they said, or maybe they did it on purpose. Maybe they didn't do it on purpose. But you know what? You have to forgive. As God forgave you, you have to forgive others. And remember, this this is not because they deserve forgiveness, because we didn't deserve forgiveness. God gave us forgiveness. We came to him and asked for it, and he forgave us. So we have to forgive others as God forgave us. We can't hold on to things, even if it's wrong. Because usually if it's forgiveness, that means that something has gone wrong, but we can't count that against them. So we have to forgive. And then we have love. So it says in verse 14, Above all things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. So this charity, that's love. This is the self-sacrificing love that we've talked about. Not that self-protecting, self-preserving love that the world has, but this is God's love. Remember, God defines love. And God so loved us that he gave. He gave all he had for us. So we are to have have that same self-sacrificing love. So without godly love, none of these other virtues are possible. You may, they may pop up from time to time, but they're not coming from the right place. Remember, we talked about the seed and what the seed produces. So we have to have these things in our lives. Remember, we put them on. These are virtues or characteristics that we put on. Also, when you think about this, Almost every example I gave, I was able to say, God deals with us this way. God deals with us this way. These are the characteristics. These are the virtues of God. These are the things we see as he's dealt with us. That's how he's, these are the things he's used. He's been long-suffering. He's been forbearing. We should show forth the same virtues when we deal with each other. I said it earlier, these virtues are to govern our interpersonal relationship. This is how we're to deal with each other in our family. When you have these things in your life and you put them on, this is how you can deal with your family. This is how you can get through those tough situations. This is how, this is the difference between you as 
who's not coming to service, who's not living for God, who's not a believer. This is the difference because situations are going to come up. Circumstances are going to come up. You know, you've got a child in high school, your child's going to skip school, an unsaved family's child's going to skip school. But the difference is you're going to correct your child. You're going to show them what's right. Your child's going to walk in the ways of God. The other people, they don't know what to do. They don't know how to govern that. They may go all off the rails. The correction may be done. You know, it may be abusive. But as believers, we have these characteristics. And that's how we deal with each other. Even when we do things that are wrong and God doesn't like and you know, think about your family. We're talking about the purpose of the family and love in the family. There, somebody's always doing something. And think about your extended family. Somebody's doing something wrong. You always hear, oh, so-and-so did this. This happened. God corrects us out of love. He doesn't throw us away. That's what we have to do within our families. God's standard, he uses his standard of love to discipline and correct us. And that's the same thing we have to do in our family. You know, as parents, that's how you discipline and correct your children. You have to make sure that it's coming from a place of God's love. And I know, you know, children do stuff and it'll make you mad right away. But, you know, we don't act out of that, that anger. Remember, we're forbearing. We're forgiving. We're acting out of those virtues that we put on. So when we correct, we correct out of God's love and his standard. We don't leave it, we don't leave it alone. We have to correct just like God corrects us. And when God corrects us, he's not a hard taskmaster. He's not correcting us just to be mean, just to say, oh, do it this way because this is the way it does. But he's correcting us because he wants us to have lives that are free from complication. He wants his peace in our lives. And that's the same way as parents, as family members, as cousins, wherever you are in your family, when we correct others, that's what we're correcting out of. We're not correcting out of our own self-righteousness because we think this is wrong. We think you should do something else. We're correcting by the standard of God. You know, parents in the household, the mother and father, the husband and wife, they have to have that same standard of love as they deal with each other. A lot of times we talk about the parents and the children, but the parents and the children, the parents with each other, the husband and wife, they have to have that same standard of love. They have to have that same commitment. We talk about commitment, commitment to the family, commitment to making sure that everything's okay. The wife does something the husband doesn't like. The husband does something the wife doesn't like. What do we do? We use those virtues. That's how we govern our love with each other. So once again, if you think about that, the wife goes out and spends too much money and the husband's upset with her, that happens in every family. A saved family and an unsaved family. But how you deal with that situation. The, un- the unsaved family, the husband may go all off and do all these kind of things, but the saved husband, he's going to come back and he's going to be meek. He's going to show love. And, and you know, when you think about, you know, I say show love and people say, oh, be all tender and be all sweet. No, it might be some correction and it may be some discipline in that, but it's coming out of a heart of purpose. Let's get back on God's purpose. That's where these things are coming from. So, as we deal with each other in our family, we always go back to this, this scripture that I looked at. You can also go over to Ephesians. It talks about these as well. These are the virtues that we are to have. And the first, we, we should in, in, make sure that we put them on individually. And then as we deal with our families, we have them. And that's how we deal with our families. We cannot, and, and I think about it, and you know, I think about my family. It's so easy because our families, we love our families. We have an emotional 
Hold on, let me say that better because we're talking about God's love and I want to clean it up. We have a strong emotional attachment and bond to our family. Correct? So with that strong emotional attachment and that bond, you know, emotions are hot and cold most of the time. You're either up or you're down with your emotions. So that's how we deal with our family. Either we, oh, you know, Thanksgiving's coming, you're going to see your family. Missed you so much. Oh, I love you. You know, the first day or two. And then day four, you're like, why are you here? That's emotion. Y'all, y'all don't play. You, don't, you may not say it, but you're thinking it. But uh, that's the way we deal with our families because it's coming out of emotion. But really what's to govern our relationship is the love of God. The love of God produces those virtues. So when you want to say, why are you here? You say, you know what? You know, you want to see this movie. I want to see that movie. That's not a big deal. I can forbear that. That's how we deal with our family. That, those are the things that we do. When we deal with our families that way, our lives preach the gospel. When our lives preach the gospel, people won't be confused about who God is. We'll represent God. When people see that, they'll, they'll take note. And they'll say, wait a minute, this is something different. We're called to holiness and, be a, and to be a witness. Is going to reach the lost through us. Think about how God reached you when you were lost. It was through, it was through people. The same thing here. You know, I think about it uh, while I'm talking. Flip over to First John. You know, you think about, you think about your children or, or whoever. And as they go to school... And they deal with other people who have different different standards in your than your family. When your when your family has a standard of God, their friends, the teachers, all those people you are around see that standard. They may not be able to identify it as the standard of God, but they know it's different. They know that this looks different, and I, I don't necessarily know what it is, but it looks different. And believe you me, God will use that. So we have to make sure. That we live according to God's standards. So first uh, John chapter four. We're going to read verses one through seven. Or maybe we're not no, we're going to read seven through fourteen. Excuse me. So first uh, John four, seven through fourteen. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and every one that loveth is born of God. And knoweth God. He that loveth not, excuse me, he that loveth not knoweth not God. For God is love. And this was manifested, the love of God towards us. Because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his Son to be the perpetuation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. So, what we're talking about now is the last point is how does the product of godly love affect those outside the family? So our lifestyle of love or the daily love that we should show every day 
should be a common characteristic of all believers. We should all have this. And once again, God is the source of love. And this is a purposeful love. It's not that emotional attachment like I was describing earlier, that emotional bond. This is a purposeful love. God's purpose for the family is that they testify of his love. So, if we look over here, what verse was that? Um, One of these verses talks about his testifying of his love that I read earlier. But what that word testify, what does that mean? It means to make a statement based on personal knowledge or belief. It's to bear witness to serve as evidence or proof. So, as believers, we're to make a statement with our lives. With our lives. We can say it out of our mouths, but our lives should be able to tell, should be in concert with what we're saying with our lives. So, our lives should testify or to make a statement based on personal knowledge of belief or belief of God's love. We're to bear witness to serve as evidence or proof of who God is. That's what the family, when we, when God, when we have godly love, when we are in God's love and God's purpose, that's what the world sees. It testifies of God's love. Because remember, we've put on those virtues that we looked at earlier. And those virtues, when things come up in our lives, other people see that we don't react the same way. That, that we have a hope. We have something that other people don't necessarily have. So it testifies that there's something out there that's different. And that is God. That we know what it is. The world may not necessarily know what it is, but we testify of what it is. In order to restore this generation, we have to be representatives of God's love. We have to show forth God's love. And just like I said, it can't just be when we feel like it. It can't just be when we're in these doors. It can't be when we're going out on fourth, on the fourth Saturdays witnessing. It can't be when we're just going to the nursing home. It can't be just those times. It has to be all the time. It has to be all the time. We have to be representatives of God's love. We have to proclaim God's love, not only with what we say, but what we do. Because a lot of times we'll try to be lazy and we'll say, well, my life preaches the gospel. I don't have to preach the gospel. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Let your life preach the gospel, and then let your words preach the gospel. Let it all preach the gospel. You know, like I said, the word earlier we looked at, affection, like we have one, we have one life. All of it goes towards God. So we should do everything as we preach the gospel. We can't do this the world's way. We have to do it God's way. Once again, we don't have to look for gimmicks. We don't have to look for things. How do we, how do we preach the gospel? God's already told us. Live it, and when the opportunity comes, say what needs to be said. Just obey. Go over to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, we're going to look at verses 12 through 17. Verse 12 says, This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have, have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, 
and ordain you that ye should go and bring forth fruit, that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you, that ye love one another. So, this is Jesus, he's speaking here, and he's talking about love. He's talking about love, and then he's talking about your fruit remaining. So, we have to allow the seed of word, the seed of the word to be planted in our hearts. When we cultivate that seed, we make sure the ground is like it's supposed to be. We continue to water the word. We do what we're supposed to do and we are obedient. When the appropriate season comes, the fruit is going to be there. You know, a lot of times, you know, we're looking at things and, and, and there's a reason that we're teaching on the purpose in the family. There are some things that God is setting each and every one of us up for. And don't worry about it, uh, what it is and how you're going to respond. All you have to do is accept the seed, let the seed grow in your heart, cultivate it, make sure it's there. And at the right season, at the right time, the fruit will be there and it will be mature and it will be what God has called it to be. That's just like in your family. You know, you may be looking at things and things may be going on with your family, but you're doing what the Word of God says. Keep doing what the Word of God says. Keep on because the seed in due season is going to reap. And you're going to see what you've sown. The thing about it is, when you bear fruit, it's never for you. It's always for somebody else. It's going to benefit somebody else. So the seed that God is sowing in your life, it is going to grow and it's going to come up and the world's going to be able to see God. Because a godly seed, guess what? It can only produce godly fruit. And yet godly fruit does not look, it does not taste, it is not like anything else. Like I said, when you deal differently than the world deals with your family, other people are going to see that. They may pass by it a few times and say, hey, you know, that, look, that tree is different. They may keep passing by, but every, after a while they're going to stop. And then your life is ministered to and now your words can minister to So you have to be distinctly different. We have to stand out. And we stand out by doing what God has called us. We don't have to try to make ourselves stand out. All we have to do is what God's called us to do. Go over to Matthew chapter 15. Excuse me, Matthew chapter 5. We're going to end with this one. Now, we can't expect to stand out and be noticed if what we're doing what the world's doing. So remember, we have to have that godly love. We have to do what God has called us to do. He's provided the love for us and the virtues. We have to put them on and show forth his goodness. So, Matthew chapter 5. And we're just going to look at one verse here. Just verse 16. It says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So, all we got to do is what God told us to do. He's in us. He's that light. All we have to do is make sure that it shines through us. When we do that, it's not going to just change your immediate family, but it's going to change everybody you encounter. Remember, God is purposeful. You may not know what he's doing with the person that you just ran into at the grocery store. But let your light shine. You may not know what he's doing with that family that, is on, that your child plays soccer with. But let your light shine. Be who God has called you to be. When our families show forth the love of God, it's going to be a witness to others. It's going to be an encouragement to believers. 
You know, when you see, when you see, you know, like you see here and we see now a lot of the children we saw grow up and were born here and we saw them born and now we see the fruit of that labor that the parents have put in. That's an encouragement to me. And it, it keeps you going. You're like, yes, God, this is great. So when you do that, it encourages the believer. It's a living example of the gospel. Remember, this is God's love. He's purposeful. He's not giving it over here and letting it be something and then something different over here. What God is working out through us, he can work it out through the family, these individuals who love him and have laid down their agenda for his agenda. We don't have to try to show the world who we are. All we have to do is be who God's made us to be. We Remember, we can rest in God. God's rest. All we have to do is be who he told us to be. When that happens, the world will take notice of us. We will be able to stand and be that life that he's called us to be. Amen? Amen. God is faithful. He is a good God. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net. Thank you.